0: Please sit as David comes to read. Reading today is taken from Matthew chapter 6. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to you. God. I'm just going to quickly pray for Pads as he comes to speak to us. Oh, thank you, Jerry. Sorry. <sighs> Heavenly Daddy, let your words flow through Pads. And Holy Spirit, give every single one of us here ears to hear and a heart willing to receive what you want to say to us. Speak your words through Pads and help each of us to grow in knowledge and love of you. Amen. I'm going to make three bold statements um, at the beginning of my talk, and which, if they were about me or you, they'd probably be arrogant, but they're not, they involve God, and so I think they're true. Firstly, prayer is the most important activity of our lives. That's the first point. Second point, if we would actually make prayer the most important activity of our lives, our lives would be transformed. Our relationships would be transformed. Our sense of fulfilment and purpose would be transformed. Our marriages would be transformed. Our relationship with our children would be transformed. Our workplaces would be transformed. In short, every aspect of our lives that we prayed about would be transformed. That's point number two. And point number three is this, that this is true for all people, whether they know it or not. So, what's the problem? If what I've said was really true, then we have all just been given the secret to happiness and fulfillment and peace and love and joy. So, why don't we simply decide to make prayer the most important activity of our lives and get on with living a great life fueled on prayer? But the problem is, it's hard. At least I find it's hard, and I'm a vicar. And you find it hard. I'm guessing, and your churchgoers, or at least you're certainly here this morning. But if this really is the secret to an amazing life, why do we find it so hard to pray? And how can we discover or rediscover a life of prayer that will be truly life-transforming? Well, as you, and as you know, we're having a series of sermons at the moment based on the world's most famous prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us, known as the Lord's Prayer. And Lent is often a time when people do pay attention to their prayer lives a little and refresh them. So, a good time to look at it. Last week, Chris took the first line of the prayer, Our Father in Heaven. And he taught us the amazing truth about the Creator God of the whole universe who knows us and loves us. And amazingly, despite all our flaws and our reluctance to come to Him, desires that we get to know him and live in day-to-day relationship with him as his children. Today we're looking at the next line of the prayer, hallowed be your name. But first just let me be clear about what I mean by prayer. You see we come together on a Sunday like today as a church family to worship and pray and to sing and to share bread and wine and all that is good and an important part of belonging to God's family. But what I'm talking about is not what happens on a Sunday morning, but about how we live the rest of our lives. The context of the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And just before he gives them the Lord's Prayer, he says this, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. In other words, the kind of praying that Jesus is talking about is our personal relationship with God, our personal walk with God, not what we do together on a Sunday, but how we live our lives Monday to Saturday. It was crucial to Jesus, it was crucial for his disciples, and so it should be crucial for us. It's about speaking with God on a one-to-one basis, in an intimate relationship. Personal relationship. So, how is it so hard? Why is it so hard? Well, as we look at this next line of the prayer, Hallowed be your name, I think we can begin to get some clues as to one or two of the reasons why it's difficult, but also some answers to how we can overcome the difficulty. Hallowed be your name. What does it mean? Well, if you read around the sort of biblical scholarship and what have you, Perhaps the, the most general translation of this is it, ne- it means, may your name be made holy. May God, may your name be made holy. And you may think, well, isn't that a bit strange? I mean, isn't that a bit like praying, Lord, would you make the grass green when it's, when it's already green? I mean, God's name is holy, isn't it? So what does it mean to pray, may your name be made holy? But actually, God's name is very often a lot less than holy. And we are the problem. The problem is that God's name, in other words his reputation, is held in the hands of his people, of his followers. And our sinfulness, our lack of holiness, often gives him a bad name. It's obvious, isn't it, with an extreme example like a priest convicted of child abuse highlighted in the recent film Spotlight, which tells the story of the exposure of what had been a widespread cover-up of such abuse in the church. God's name is far from holy when things like that come to light. The prophet Ezekiel writes in chapter 36 of God's anger and sadness at the conduct of Israel, saying, I had concern for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned among the nation's where they'd gone. God wants his name to be hallowed, to be made holy by his people. Now, it would be easy to point to those big things and to say, well, that's nothing to do with me, but actually, every time we live our lives in a way that's not honouring to God, we profane his name. We make it less than holy, and this is one of the reasons that we find prayer hard. One of the reasons we withdraw from God is that we know that as we come into His presence in prayer, we become more aware of the ways in which we fall short of His holiness, the ways that we've messed up, and we'd rather not be reminded of those things. If you're a child who's broken one of the rules of the house, you tend to avoid your parents. You tend to shut yourself upstairs in your room because you know that in the presence of your parents, you're going to feel guilt and shame about what you've done. If you've let down a friend or a relative whom you promised to visit or to help out in some way, the tendency is to avoid them or put off contacting them because you feel guilty. How much more do we flawed human beings feel reluctant to enter into conversation with the God who created us when we know it will mean facing up to the ways that we've let him down? That's one reason, one major reason that we avoid or put off or perhaps even rush through our prayers, the awareness of our own shortcomings before God's holiness. So what are we to do? God is holy, we are flawed, prayer is vital and yet we avoid it. What's to be done? Well I think that often our struggles in relating to God are more about our wrong understanding of the kind of God he is. Despite knowing the theory, we still cannot quite bring ourselves to believe how much he loves us. We're like the prodigal son returning to his family, hoping for nothing more than to be given the position of a hired hand, not realizing that the loving father wants to rush out with arms open and welcome us back into his family as full sons and daughters, as children of God. And so the reason we can come to a holy God despite our shortcomings is that he first came to us. He knew we would never be holy enough in ourselves. He knew we could never keep his commandments. He knew that however hard we tried, we would never be good enough. And so he first came to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect holy life and died in our place on the cross in order that we could be forgiven and set free. There's a simple but powerful illustration of this that we use on the Alpha course to help people to understand how we can come to a holy God. And it's drawn from the prophet Isaiah, from chapter 53, verse 6, which says this, It says, we all like sheep have gone astray, each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And this is the illustration. Let this hand here represent you and me. And let this book I'm holding here represent our sin, all the ways we mess up. The things that we've done wrong. And the problem is that our sin creates a partition, a block between ourselves and our Heavenly Father. It cuts our communication, if you like. But this verse addresses it. It says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, but the Lord and imagine this hand is Jesus. Jesus is perfectly free, completely holy, lived a sinless life, has perfect communication with the Father. But it says that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And you know, the reason, the only time in Jesus' life that he was cut off from God was on the cross. That's why he shouted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because our sin that he was carrying cut him off from God. But the point is, do you see where that leaves us? Because he's taken our sin, despite our flaws and and all the things that we've done wrong, we're now free to have a relationship with God, to communicate with God, to come into his holy presence, We can come to God, the creator of the universe, without shame, without guilt, without feeling not good enough, not because we are good enough, because we aren't, but because in Jesus we are made good enough. In Jesus we're forgiven, we're loved, we're welcomed back into the family where we were always meant to have been. And we have access to the ear of our loving Heavenly Father who speaks to us. That's why we should pray, because when we pray with the right perspective, Far from being made to feel guilty, we're released from guilt and shame. Gee, I was really struck by a Radio 4 programme I heard yesterday when I was driving back from Burfield in the car. And it was, um, they were interviewing uh, a well-known uh, Irish novelist called Marion Keyes. And uh, she sounds like a really lovely person, and I'm sure she is. And yet she expressed something that really struck me. She said this, I'm riddled with shame, even at the best of times. She went on to say, For me, deep down, I'm perpetually uneasy. And then, interesting for an author, she created a new word here, Unfulfilledness, she said, is always going to be in me. But I've learned not to beat myself up about it. I've learned to accept it, because it's just the human condition. And, and the reason I was so struck by it is because it was like she was talking about me 20 years ago, before I came to know and love Jesus. I, I, I could never shrug off the shame about some of, of some of the things that I'd done in the past. I was always casting around, looking for something that would give me fulfilment in life and never finding it. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that she's unsuccessful. She sold millions of books. In worldly terms, she's a huge success but by her own admission, she's not fulfilled. She's riddled with shame. She's perpetually uneasy. And the reason I really sat up and took notice was her conclusion that there's no answer to the problem, that it's just part of what it means to be human. And yet, I stand here as a witness this morning, and I'm sure that many of you would agree with me, and I can say that since coming to faith, since Jesus coming into my life, being filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't carry that shame anymore. I know God's purpose for my life. I'm not uneasy anymore. For the last 15 years, I've lived the most fulfilled life I've ever known. Now, I have no idea what, if any, religious background Marion has, but I felt so sad for this lovely lady that she'd apparently given up on the quest for peace and fulfillment. I wanted to shout at the radio. Marion, try Jesus. Try prayer. <laughs> Maybe I should write her a letter. <laughs> I don't know, but what I what I do know is this. Coming into God's holy presence is not a recipe for feeling shameful or guilty. It's the route to healing. Because as we pray, as we learn to pray, In God's will more and more, our guilt and our shame is healed and transformed into indescribable love for God who gave his human life in Jesus for us and set us free from shame and guilt. So I want to challenge us all this morning to pray this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, every day, perhaps several times a day, and use it to pray into every situation because it will transform it. Do you know, when I was was in business in, in the year 2000, I changed jobs. I went as general manager to a small software company. And the office atmosphere was terrible. People swore all the time. They took God's name in vain all the time. They backstabbed each other all the time. They gossiped all the time. It was the worst office environment I've ever come across in my life. And I dreaded the Monday morning staff meetings. I really dreaded them. But it was just around that time that I came to faith. And I had a very salient experience of putting my newfound faith into practice. And I, I didn't know where to go, so I started to pray. And I didn't know many prayers, so I, I prayed the Lord's Prayer. And I, and I said, Lord, your kingdom come in this office. You, you, I want your name to be hallowed in this office. And you know, after a bit of time, things began to change people started to swear less. Then one of the office staff got really, really ill, ba- dangerously ill. Her name was Angela. And everybody in the office didn't, didn't really know how to handle it. And I just felt a prompting from God. And I got everyone out of their offices and off their desks. And I said, look, Angela's really, really ill. We need, we, we, we need to do something. I want to pray for her. And I said, I don't know whether you pray or not, but I gathered them all together and I said, let's pray. And we prayed. And as a result of praying for Angela in that office, the whole atmosphere changed. In fact, almost from that day on, people stopped taking God's name in vain. They stopped swearing. They stopped backbiting and, and, and so on. It was extraordinary, the, the power of doing that. And you know, it's true that not everyone changed. One or two people actually handed in their their notice in the next couple of months. I think they decided that the writing was on the wall. Our Father in heaven. So I want to challenge us to pray this prayer. And as you pray it, pray our Father in heaven. Remember what Chris taught us, that while he's the creator of the universe, he is Abba father, a close, intimate father who loves us and wants to know us and wants us to get to know him. And when you pray, hallowed be your name, don't rush it. Remember he's a holy God who wants his name to be made holy through the holy lives lived out by his people, that we can come into his presence precisely because in Jesus he sacrificed his life so that we can come into his presence. That the more we do that, the more he will make us holy. And the more his name will be made holy through us. Do you know in Jesus' day, um, and even in orthodox circles today, orthodox Jewish circles, they're often reluctant to use God's name at all, just in case they use it wrongly. Jesus changed all of that. In in calling his father uh, Abba, encourages us to call God Father And you know, just in case any of us have any problems with the name Father, Jesus called himself so many names and associated himself with so many images that almost anyone can relate to him. I love J. John's take on this. He says that God in Jesus calls himself the bread of life so that bakers can relate to him. The living water so that plumbers can relate to him. The light of the world so that electricians can relate to him. The cornerstone so that architects can relate to him. The hidden treasure so that bankers can relate to him. The life so that biologists can relate to him. The door so that carpenters can relate to him. The great physician, so that doctors and nurses can relate to him. Teachers so that educators can relate to him. The lily of the valley so that florists can relate to him. Rock of ages so that geologists can relate to him. True vine so that horticulturalists can relate to him. Righteous one so that judges can relate to him. Pearl of great price so that jewelers can relate to him. Wisdom so that philosophers can relate to him. The word so that writers can relate to him. The good shepherd so that farmers can relate to him. The alpha and the omega so that scientists can relate to him. The king of kings so that royalty can relate to him. The way so that traffic wardens can relate to him. The truth so that politicians can relate to him. God is longing for all of us to relate to him. He wants us all to come into his presence in prayer. So this morning I'm asking you to respond. Not, as it were, here in this place, although I'd love you to. If you want to be prayed with after the service, come up for prayer ministry. But, wherever that place is for you, which Jesus refers to when he says, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. That's where I'm challenging you to be. If you find prayer difficult, as I do, there's no better way to start than praying our Father in heaven who wants us to come into his holy presence and pray, hallowed be your name. Because his holiness transforms lives that are unfulfilled, perpetually uneasy, riddled with shame and guilt, into lives which are full of faith and purpose and love and hope. And if you don't try it,